marketing friends. It's Misty. Today I am joined by Catherine Spitznagel. So how do I know Catherine? Well, turns out years ago when she worked at Caterpillar, she hired Samantha for some projects and I had the great benefit of working for her, even though she may not have known that at the time. But more recently, her book came across my desk. She now is a business owner, a professional coach, a women's mentor, and a podcast host, just like me. And she just wrote a book called Rockstar Millennials, Developing the Next Generation of Leaders. And I was so excited to get my hands on this. Actually, one of our Samantha employees on our leadership team brought me the book and she said, Misty, this book is like my Bible right now. And I started flipping through it and she is so right. There are so many practical tools in this book and actually there's a workbook that goes along with it. So I just encourage you you to listen to Catherine. She's got some amazing personal and professional stories that she's going to share. Actually has worked in a ton of male-dominated industries, so we're going to get into a little bit of what it's like to be a female working in those industries since I've experienced that as well. And she's really made it her mission right now to foster the personal and professional development of leaders, especially women, millennials. So you'll hear in this show that it's not really about running a business to her. It's about changing lives. And I really admire her passion for giving others the tools they need to mold themselves into the people they want to become. So have a listen to Catherine. Hopefully you'll be inspired by the topic she has to share and I'll see you on the other side. Hello, listeners. I am so excited today to have Catherine Spitznagel on the podcast with me. She is the owner of Mentoring Women Millennials, and she has written a book called Rockstar Millennials that I got my hands on not too long ago. And I have just loved learning her story and getting to know her a little bit as a person. And so just excited to dig into some of the topics she has to share with us. So welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Misty. I always start with trying to understand people as people. So tell me a little bit about your story and how you came up in the world. Well, I was born into a family with four brothers and the only girl. And so I learned very early on how to function in a world of males. I worked in five male-dominated industries. And that's a lot of what I do now with young women leaders in male-dominated industries. Yeah. Your whole career trajectory was kind of in those male-dominated fields? It was. Okay. Degree was in journalism, and I wrote sports because I knew sports. So I was the only female sports writer in college. And then when I got out of college, went to work for a publishing company, and you'll laugh now, but they had a men's and a women's division. Interesting. And I I went into the men's division. Oh, wow. And I wrote for a helicopter magazine. Okay. And went to flight school. That was part of the curriculum. That We all became pilots, so we understood the language. Then I went to shooting times, which was hunting and sports shooting. This is mind-boggling to me. You learned all these different industries. We did. That was just part of the job. My job was to edit and to put the technological language in English yeah, so our readers yeah. would get it. And then I went into fashion, which you think is a very female-dominated industry. It's not. Same with advertising. I mean, my industry is still very male-dominated, even though females are primarily to purchase decision-maker in the household. Exactly. And you, you see females on the runway, so you think, oh, it's, it's all women. Those are the only women running the show. Then from publishing, I went into corporate communications, 
in Purina in St. Louis. Okay. So that was my first foray into a large corporation. More women because your customers are women, but still male dominated right. at that time. And then, yeah, then on to Caterpillar. Yeah. So very male dominated. Right. Well, and that's obviously how we know each other. Yeah. So mm-hmm. obviously Caterpillar's one of Samantha's largest customers and have yes. worked with them for 40 years. So I know that as we journey together today, a lot of our shared experiences yes. are going to come up there because of Cook at Caterpillar. So talk a little bit about your role at Cat, since that's where we spent a lot of time sort of mm-hmm. working together. You and I were just sharing stories Different. about projects we had together. We worked on, yes. So started out in marketing communications, sure. which, you know, made sense to me. And that's kind of where we began working mm-hmm. together. Then went into the factory and did communications and learning in the factory. Cool. And then went kind of off the rails and worked with the logistics arm, which was external at the time. So our customers were Land Rover and Ford and... Fun. Yeah, Sears. And we were moving parts for external customers. Wow. And that was the first time I had a global team. Interesting. So to have people in Asia and Europe and U.S., yeah. And what was that like? Fun. <laughs> I can't imagine because, I mean, I know you're you're so warm. You're all about connections, but just building those probably at a time when you had to do a lot of travel, right? We did, but that's where I learned to build those relationships across continents with people that, you know, speak a different language or from a different culture and you've never met. Right. That comes in real handy right now Yeah. because this is what people are doing. Then went to public affairs. That was kind of a normal progression and managed the media team. Yeah. So again, normal progression. Then I took another left turn (laughs) and worked on the Caterpillar Visitor Center. Yes. So did fundraising and we were just talking about that. Build the block. That's where our paths crossed again, did fundraising and then managed the project build. Yeah. That's a funny story. When they offered me that role, I said, you know, I've never built anything, Mm -hmm. even a house. (laughs) Right. This is a $37 million project. And they said, yeah, this project's been in the works for eight years. We've had an architect. We've had an engineer. We need a communicator, a collaborator, and a project manager. Awesome. So assembled a great team that walked me through it all. And so managed the build and then launched the the project. Cool. Yeah, managed it for a few years. So let's talk about that build the block journey. For our listeners who maybe don't know that story, it was a huge referendum in the city of Peoria to get this development passed when this big empty lot in the middle of our community. And it was quite a political debate at the time. (laughs) But what was great is that Caterpillar really came to the table with this funding and and this commitment. And Mm -hmm. so you were kind of at the center of all that. What did you learn about yourself or about leadership when you were kind of trying to navigate that space? Well, I also didn't consider myself a fundraiser. Right. And and I had a great boss who said, you might not have been yesterday, but today you are. So <laughs> yeah, here's your job. Yeah. We also worked a lot with governmental affairs okay. because we were working with the city council yeah. and we were working with the county board and they all had to vote on this yeah. referendum. And then we had to go out in the community and that had to be passed. Right. And Caterpillar said, we won't build unless the community builds this museum. Yeah. If the community steps forward and you know puts forward funds mm-hmm. and you build the Riverfront Museum, then we'll build the Caterpillar Visitor Center. And I remember I was sort of a young up-and-comer at Samantha at those days, and my marketing job turned into a grassroots political that's, effort. That's exactly <laughs> but I learned a lot. Door. It was an interesting time. 
Well, I love your career story. Number one, because you started, it sounds like in journalism, which is what I wanted to do. So it seems like you're a storyteller at heart. I have a lot of questions about your book, but your listeners a little bit about you beyond your career, because the other part of your brand is very much your breast cancer survivor story. So share a little bit of that journey with us. Absolutely. So I am a 15 year survivor, still in treatment and so grateful for every day. Right. I know I'm not supposed to be here and I have a purpose. Right. And so, yes, I was diagnosed at 49, just a typical mammogram. Yeah. And they told me at the time, if I had skipped that mammogram, I wouldn't have lived to have another one. So it was very aggressive. It was beyond the breast. They did uh, a mastectomy right away, took out 14 lymph nodes. Nine of those were positive. So we knew it was spreading. I have shared your story with more people in the past few days as I've listened to it because the lessons and the way you talk about cancer in terms of what it has taught you, right? You talk about it in such a positive light. And most people, when I hear talk about cancer, they don't have that sort of point of view, right? And in particular, this Pink Pearls of Hope journey Mm -hmm. you've been on. So dig into that a little bit. Tell us how that's framed your view of the world. That was just such a gift. And I talk, when I speak to breast cancer survivors, I often talk about the blessing of cancer. Yeah. And they look at me like... <laughs> That's kind of how I felt, yeah, Catherine. Yeah, quite right. right. Yeah. So when I was in chemo, one of the women that I had mentored at Caterpillar was working in Beijing, China. And she came to visit me at chemo and brought me pink pearls of hope from China, a strand of pearls. And she said, in China, this brings you um, hope for healing, and good health. Okay. And I was so touched. And I wore those pearls all the time. And they they did. They gave me healing and hope and just that thought that someone from halfway around the world brought them. Yeah. And on her next home visit, she brought 10 more sets of pearls. Cool. And she said, I know when you're well again, you will mentor others. Right. And so I started mentoring when I was in chemo. And I thought, I have 10 sets. And when I distribute these 10, I'm done. Yeah. And Caterpillar has a wonderful sort of silent network of cancer survivors, and they reach out to one another. Wow. And so when I was diagnosed, someone reached out to me, Marcia Shoneman. Yeah. You may have crossed yeah, paths I remember with her. her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she reached out to me. She was living in Singapore yeah. at the time, and she would call me after every chemo treatment. And the first time she called, I said, Marsha, it's 3 a.m. in <laughs> Singapore. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I can tell time. Right. How'd it go today? Aww. No. And just this wonderful support that I knew I could give yes. to others. Okay. And so very quickly through this network, 10 people came to me. And as they reached a milestone of finishing chemo or a surgery, I would pass along pink pearls yeah. and tell them the story. And so when I distributed those and worked with 10 people, I thought my work was done. Yeah. But the pearls kept coming. Wow. And so people all throughout Caterpillar, all around the world, started sending me pink pearls. And they said, you know, we've heard your story and we want to be part of your journey. Mm. Misty, that happened for 10 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I didn't realize. For 10 years, I never ran out of pearls and I never ran out of survivors. So as that 
sort of pivots into where you are today. Was your mission at that time to help cancer survivors or did it grow beyond that and realize that you had more to give in terms of when you talk about your purpose to sort of pay it forward on a broader scale towards women and now millennials? Like how did that experience shape the work you knew you needed to do? That that expanded it. The mentoring began at Purina mm-hmm. and it just, it, it took a left turn with cancer. Okay. Okay. So I didn't realize mentoring was going to be beyond business. Yeah. One of the things that struck me as I read your book is how in tune you are to the lessons that your leaders taught you. And I don't think all of us maybe reflect on that as much. I mean, you were super intentional about taking feedback to heart and following Mm -hmm. servant leaders and like really mulling over their lessons, right? So much so that you were able to write them all down so many years later. So was that just always sort of baked into you? No. (laughs) No? No, I was a lousy leader. Okay. Just, But you were a good listener. That writing background, you probably knew how to aggregate all the facts and data. Yes. But I'm so grateful, particularly to those leaders at Purina when I was early in my career, that were honest with me yeah. and said, Neil Lewis, if you've read the book, you lots of Neil Lewis stories. And one of the things he said that was so poignant was, Catherine, you have a quick temper and a sharp tongue. Yeah. And neither one of those will serve you well in leadership. Right. This is going to hold you back. Yeah. And for him to be that honest mm-hmm. and also then to work with me mm-hmm. and say, no, we're going to fix this Yeah, because you have so much potential and this is what will hold you back. Yeah. The respect that you hold for your leaders comes through. And I love that you integrate those lessons throughout the book. So talk a little bit about where you are today, right? Talk about starting this new business. I love that you list even on the back of your book about your mission being to foster the personal and professional development of leaders. Why are you so passionate about this at this stage of life? Because others were so passionate with me. Right. And from Purina, when I left Purina, I just thought that that's the leader that I want to be. I want to be Neil Lewis to other people. So cool. I want to change lives. Mm -hmm. And that was one thing that he would say repeatedly to his leadership team. This isn't about running a business. This is about changing lives. Yeah. So starting up this business, Mentoring Women Millennials, Mm -hmm. How did that happen? Was that was that an iterative process or, you know, was it, I, I just have to do this? Nope. <laughs> uh, when I announced that I was leaving Caterpillar and retiring, many of the women mm-hmm. that I had mentored through the years who've gone on to work at different companies and do different things came together and had a call with me. Wow. And said, we want you to start a business That is so cool. And we will help you. That is awesome. So we know what's going to stop you. Yeah. The website. So I'm going to help you with the website. (laughs) Right. I'm going to help you with marketing. Right. Another one said you need to write a book. Another one wrote the foreword to the book. Another one's in the book. Many of them were beta readers for the book. And others have been on the podcast. And so it was just a very humbling experience for them to all come together And to say this was so impactful to us, this is what you need to do and we'll help you. Yeah, well, I I definitely read so many of these women's stories, which again, just shows what kind of leader you are, that you not only gave credit to your leaders, but really shined a light on all the people that had probably taught you too, even though you led them. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. That's awesome. 
Well, let's talk about the book a little bit, because like I said, I have spent quite a bit of time with it since it was given to me by one of my employees. And she said, Misty, this thing has just been life changing to me. I just keep it on my desk and these tools. And as I started to flip through it, many of the tools, and I think this is probably the generation because I'm kind of a millennial, right? Mm -hmm. Many of the tools that you talk about, my leaders taught me, but you put them down in writing and now you can pass them on to the next generation. So it must be in that era where those kinds of tools were really practical for the millennials that were coming up in the world. And that's what, you know, I learned the tools at Purina. I didn't write them down until I got to Caterpillar. And as I started mentoring at Caterpillar, of course, a very engineering manufacturing environment. Yeah. And I'd walk out of a meeting where I was working with a team member and the in, an engineer would say, can you, that thing you just did, can you write that down? Yes. <laughs> what thing? You know, those words. <laughs> so God bless those engineers for 22 years were on me to document this. Yeah. And then as I was leaving, and you'll, you'll laugh, the first page in the workbook is a spreadsheet. And so as I was leaving, one came, one said, you know, just one, one more request. Can you give us like a spreadsheet? <laughs> says, if you're having this issue, use this tool. Yeah. And I said, you're kidding me. And it's like, <laughs> we don't kid. You know, we're engineers. Yeah, I know. And that is the first page in the, the toolkit. That's awesome. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Here's here's the spreadsheet. Is it this one that I tabbed if you're having this problem? Yes. Yeah. 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 I tabbed it because I love that. I'll talk about this in a minute here, but yeah, that's yeah. exactly it's it. It's awesome. Yeah. If this, then that. If this, then that. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about how the book is organized. So in terms of sections of the book, we've got what millennials want from their bosses, what millennials want from their companies, and what millennials want to learn. Before I dig into some of my questions for you on that, why millennials? I have such a heart for this generation, and I think they get a bad rap. I really just developed a heart for them because they were my peeps all around the world. Yeah. And then as I worked with them more and more and worked with some of the other leaders at Caterpillar, I saw the pushback. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, has anybody taught these young folks these things? Sure. Or could you just tweak that a little bit? What's the matter with them working remotely? (laughs) Right. You know, I manage people all over the world that I've never met and we only have a phone call to connect us. Have you had to really study the generations to be able to write this book? I studied it some, the last chapter, where we connect and complement, right. really spoke to that just because I thought that was a good way to wrap it up Yeah, to say, if you're a Gen X or if you're a baby boomer and you have these years of experience and you want to leave a legacy and you want to give back, now's your time to do that. Yes. And we have generations that want to listen to you. Maybe you frame it a little differently. All right. Well, like I said, I have some questions for you. So the first section is what millennials want from their bosses. And you cover things like helping millennials navigate their career, giving straight feedback, mentoring and coaching, and this idea of sponsorship. I went through and tabbed some of my favorite exercises, like the three bucket exercise Uh that you can use in a one-on-one or... The, the story you tell about space, speech, and sight that your leader yes. taught you. There were some really like cool, practical things that I'm going to start using in my day-to-day, but what were some of your favorites, I guess, out of that section? And, and why um, did you feel so compelled to tell bosses <laughs> these are the things that your team wants from you? I think because I was so grateful to the bosses that were honest with me. Yeah. And one thing that Purina did so very well 
was they spoke in terms of strengths and shadows. Yes. It was just I such know that a language. positive culture. Yes. And shadows are just, you know, weren't shining yet. But if there is something that we do need for you to shine in and you're not yet, we're going to help you. So some of the companies that hire me now to come in and work with their women leaders, I'll say, okay, what, what do we want to work on? Well, she needs to do public speaking. Okay. So what have you done with her? I told her. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and what else? I told her again. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. All righty then. Let me have her. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to work with her. Yeah. And when do you want her to speak and where? Yes. And, yeah. Okay. Well, she needs to speak at Summit in front of so many thousand people and do X and Y. We'll be ready. Then we go back to what are the fears and let's talk through those. And maybe we're going to work with your intonation. Maybe we're going to work with the pace and we're going to practice until you feel confident. And those are all very tactical process things. And that's where I saw the difference with Purina was they would see the vision or the potential for people and then help you see it and then help you do it. Right, right. Well, I love the idea of strengths and shadows. While you talk in this book about tools the bosses can use, you really end in a space about what millennials want to learn themselves. Right. And creativity, innovation, self-management, productivity. So you talk about this idea of sort of building confidence, right? Mm -hmm. And I have found that on my own journey to become the leader I am today. But then now I see it so clearly in the people I lead that more than ever, they just want to learn all of these strategies to make them better humans. Right. And that work-life integration space that we also acutely know now because of COVID, right? If you work on your personal development, it's going to help you with your professional development. That seems very true to your core beliefs as well. And I think you can train your brain, right? Yes. (laughs) To think and process a certain way. And sometimes you have to reverse engineer years of bad thinking maybe or Mm -hmm. or negative thoughts. But once you do it, it just becomes easier. A lot more practice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit too about what millennials want from their companies. I think this is an interesting and timely topic with post-COVID, flexible schedules, locations, benefits, but then you also have values in that section. And I think that's important in the sense that we all just kind of want to be connected to each other and to our companies. What do you want the companies who read this to take away from your work? I certainly saw this in the sustainability realm. Right. When these young people, what what engaged them with Caterpillar? They weren't of an age or an era where they were getting a pension and, you know, stocks and some things that some of the older generations were getting. Yeah. Their loyalty was based on purpose. Yeah. And sustainability, the things Caterpillar was doing in the world of sustainability gave them that purpose. Yeah. That's where their loyalty came and that's where their longevity was anchored. And so I spent a lot of time with leaders saying, okay, do you see this connection? Sure. Yeah, people want to be doing meaningful work and they want to see their impact of the work on the world. Millennials more than anybody. Exactly. And when you had those experiences, how did you go back and then try to bridge that? Because I can tell you when I stand in front of my staff and I try to explain that our meaningful marketing work has an impact, especially for Caterpillar, right, on the world, that's a big stretch to try to draw that through line. So do you have any words of wisdom for me on that one? Go to the specific. Okay. Give them specific examples. One of the videos that I used when I went out and spoke from Caterpillar, and of course, we had a remarkable TV and video group there. But I would often open the talk with a video called, What Will We Build Today? And it showed some of the work we were doing all around the world to restore wetlands and to rebuild forests. 
but we talked about it, not in terms of rebuilding wetlands, but of um, creating hope. Yeah. And creating a future and clean water. Right. And it was something more purposeful and more impactful. Was the work the same? Yes. Did we use the same equipment? Yes. Yes. Were our same customers doing it? Yes. yes. It was just a different framing. Yeah. Well, and really what you're speaking there too is about brand, right? Because I, as a marketer, I love yes. that space, helping companies know their core purpose and allowing people to see themselves in that. Another thing I've been trying to read more about is just how important employment brand is becoming to people wanting to go to work for companies, especially mm-hmm. in this crazy talent war. Do you think the Caterpillar did that well or do you think that you helped influence that at all? I hope I helped influence yeah. it. I wanted to. I certainly saw that with our employees. I mean, they'll tell you. Ask them. They'll tell you what's important to them and what is meaningful mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. Also by their actions. You right. Know, when they'd show up on nights and weekends to do a river cleanup and right. that sort of thing. Right. And bring their children. Yeah. Okay. This is yeah. this is important to them. Why did you decide to write this book? Your target audience is interesting to me because when I read this, I took a lot from it as a business owner, as a company, you know, owner, as a leader myself. But at the same time, I know you want to help millennials. Like, what was your passion to help women be able to thrive in particular? I keep coming back to that space speech site tool. Mm -hmm. I mean, you leaned in pretty hardcore to the idea that you have to show up a certain way. Yes. Take up space, right? Mm Mm-hmm present yourself in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Talk, I can tell even by the tone of your voice, right? This is something I'm working on, right? Mm-hmm. This calm, cool, collected Kings. demeanor. <laughs> yes. I just think that's such a critical skill that like people don't always talk about as yes. openly as maybe they could. And so is that part of your passion for helping women it and is. helping businesses understand the role of women, I guess, in the workplace? It absolutely is. Okay. And, and what I'll talk to owners about, because it's companies that hire me, mm. bring me in and work with their women leaders, quiet confidence. Yeah. And so I will say that Mm -hmm. that we're not here to develop women to be aggressive or to be the bee. That's not what it's about. There's a different way to go about this. Interesting. There's a lot to be said for quiet confidence. Yeah. There are ways to portray that Mm -hmm. and they just need to be taught. And one of the workshops I do with individuals, but again, also go into women's groups or groups within groups of women within a business it's called Woman of Your Destiny. Okay. And that's the tool in there. Okay. And we just unpack that and mm-hmm. say, you know, who is that woman? Yeah. What does she look like, act like, talk like? What do people say about her? Mm. What has she accomplished? And when you can envision that, and there are parts of other people that you're pulling in. You know, who are those women that you respect and admire? Someone you know, and you can talk about, you know, my grandmother was this or that. Or someone you don't know. I admire this celebrity, and this is what I admire about them. Right. And then we really just dive into that and say, what pieces of that woman are there? And what pieces do we need to develop? Yeah. And then we just break it down and say, what do we want to develop this year? Right. And what are we going to do each quarter toward that? Yeah. Those visualization exercises are so helpful and it creates that clarity that Mm -hmm. you need as a leader to then be able to be confident in going out in the world. This was actually a question on our discussion guide that my staff wanted me to ask you because... And I'll tell you, I probably haven't done as much reading about this as I should, but, you know, you go out on social media these days and you see 
these images of these women that say, I am a female CEO, right? But they cross out female because they want to be known that like, it doesn't matter <laughs> what your gender or sex is, like you, you just are. And I admire that thinking, but at the same time, having grown up in very male dominated industries myself and recognizing the power of a female dynamic, you know, especially in those settings, I just wanted your take on that. Do you yeah. think it's important to call that out? No. Okay. And I had one female leader and again, remembering up until 2010, there was only one female leader at Caterpillar. It wasn't until Doug Oberhelman came in that there were more female VPs. Right. And so she was very focused on, I'm not a female. I'm just a leader. I'm a leader like everybody else. And in fairness, at that time, maybe that's what she needed to do. Right. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I think women lead differently. And I think there's so much power in that. We are more nurturing by nature. We're also more inclusive by nature. We listen. We are looking out for the good of the enterprise and good of others. Right. And males, God love them, grown <laughs> up with them, raised them, <laughs> been married to a wonderful right. man for 40 years, oftentimes self-serving. Yeah. And women do that differently. And that became my mantra when I was building the visitor center. We were building the visitor center team, but I was the on point. I was the the woman in the trailer and the hard hat. And I said over and over, we're going to do this. I'm just going to do it differently. Yeah. And that really became my mantra. And it it is as I talk to women uh, leaders today. Right. Say, we're going to do this. Yeah. You're going to do it differently. One, right. One of the women that I'm mentoring, um, I'm so proud of her. She, we've been working together for three years and she has just been now made the GM of her company. And she's 27. And so she's the first female GM. Wow. That that's great. That's not like married to the owner and that kind of thing. Right. And so when I first started working with her, the owner saw her potential. I saw the potential. She didn't see the potential. So that was our job. To yeah. Get her there. Yeah. She said, you know, GMs are all males. They all come up through sales. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not qualified. Yeah. And I said, well, what do you? bring to the table. And mm -hmm. she said, well, all I have is an MBA and IT background and finance and HR. And I know some of the production. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You, you have it together. <laughs> you have it together. Your counterparts have only had yeah, sales. Right. And they have a lot of bravado. Right. That's all good. Right. You have a whole lot more Capacity. Dot here. connecting. Yeah. Just all of it. Yes. And potential to be a wonderful GM, which she is now, but she needed to see that. In herself. In herself. Yeah. First. And so that was, again, our mantra. I said, Kelsey, you're going to get there. You're just going to do it differently. Right. Right. Oh, I love that story. That was kind of my journey, right? At Semanal, I would take a new job description to my leadership every two to three years to be like, I see this gap. I think I can fill it. Will you let me? And very lucky that Susie and Kevin always said yes, but that sort of grow outwardly instead of upwardly idea has mm -hmm. been key to my success. And I do think women have a unique capacity to carry a lot of those things. They do. <laughs> and I think that's good advice. I never really thought about it that way as a distinction between men and women. And they may not see it. Right when and, it's happening. Right. Yeah. And so that's something that I can certainly bring to the table. Well, that's so rewarding. I think I shared with you, I've started a little side gig in addition to my semantal day job. And I feel like the kind of work I'm doing now with leaders and growing women, it feels so natural. 
what's like part of your purpose. So did you have that experience as you started? Okay. How so? Just when I could start to articulate, some of it was writing this book too. We did it in four months. Oh my gosh. It was like, okay, I, and, and my editor said, I think the reason you did it so quickly was because it was just all in your head. Yeah. And you just, it's like, okay, let me just get this out. And I looked at it as just a very functional piece. Yeah. That, okay, I need to get this documented. It's also a way to scale, not just the business, but the knowledge. Right. You know, how do we get this out there for people so they can learn it and use it? And in the process of writing that book, I think there was, it crystallized some things about how women are just so different and we approach things differently. And at the very beginning, I got a lot of pushback about the name of the business. How come? Mentoring women millennials. Well, that's going to be restricting. It's just women and it's just millennials. And I said, okay, tell me what you know about niche marketing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the whole goal in life (laughs) to know who your target is. Yeah. And so they're like, well, don't you mentor men? And I said, yes, I do. And so then what sets you apart? And I said, well, did you spend years going to meetings where you were the only woman in the room? Right. Did you spend years being interrupted and talked over? And did you learn strategies for introducing a concept or an idea without being the B? Right. And I would step through things. Yeah. Say, okay, those are things that I learned and that others taught me. Those are valuable. Yeah. And they're valuable to women. So powerful. You know, I have a life coach. I have way too many coaches because I believe in it so much. And we've brought some of those, that coaching into Samantha and my business partner is a man. And he said the same thing. He said, I don't care what it costs as long as we keep seeing this change. And it is. Absolutely. It's us as women sort of getting rid of the negative self-talk, the, the need for perfectionism, the need to achieve. There's all of these all tools of these that are yeah. different in right. terms of how we're raised than right. boys. And another thing I do with women is to name that negative person. Okay. Give her a name. Yes. And tell her to stop talking. <laughs> yeah. And give her a name. And so for each person and, yeah. and you know, they do, I say, ask yourself, you know, what's her name? And they go, right, yeah. right, right. Okay. Right. That's yeah. the person we're talking to. And there is something remarkable about naming that, that you can address it and you can ask them to leave. Yes. And you can say, I'm done with you. Yes. And you can have those conversations. And it's no longer just this ambiguous, ambiguous, negative, I don't know what. Oh, no, it, it's Leslie. Leslie, <laughs> done with you. Yeah, I got yeah. no time for you, Leslie. Step it's out. so funny. Yeah. My girlfriend calls hers Brenda. I need Brenda. to Okay, <laughs> whatever yours is. Yeah. It just cannot be a younger version of yourself. Oh, that's a good point, too. Because people would often say, well, I'm just going to. I'm just going to say Catherine. Yeah. Nope, it's not Catherine because we need Catherine yes. and we need the younger Catherine and she has helped make us who we are today. She is valuable, critical, cherished. Yes. No, she does not go away. Well, I love how you talked about your experiences is how you deliver that uniqueness. Yes. So good for you. How has it been being an entrepreneur? That's been fun. My husband has been an entrepreneur his, his whole life And my first sort of foray into it was the Caterpillar Visitor Center, even though that wasn't something I owned, but it was very separate and independent and a lot of life lessons learned there and a lot more appreciation for his business with that. And so I think that was a little bit of a springboard for me was that if I can build something from the ground up, not I as a group, but build something from the ground up 
and then launch it and make it profitable and you know that sort of thing and hire the people and make it all work I could probably do something else on my own. Yeah. Not interested in having a staff. It's me. I want to keep it that way. But it was a lot less scary than to do that after having had the visitor center experience. Yeah. I could tell you stepping into a, a business like Samantle that was thriving for so many years, it, it's been a very different experience trying to figure out how to turn what is a very personal passion into a brand, into a business, what kind of clients I want to work for. Like you yes. got, mm-hmm. had to get really clear on that. So I guess just for any entrepreneurs listening, like <laughs> it's hard. I empathize with it. Yeah. And it's a journey. It is. It's iterative. It is. And there are lots of things you're going to learn along the way and there's legal aspects, there's financial aspects, there just there are lots of pieces to it. Yeah. And if you can look at it all as learning and growing, okay? Right. And setting boundaries. And I think that's kind of the other thing. Yes. Is that, you know, I'm doing this in retirement because it's something I love. I'm not interested in working 80 hours a week. Definitely. Right. I, right. You know. And for me it's kind of been the opposite. Like how do I get out of my own way? Yes. <laughs> and truly believe I can do this because my brain keeps wanting to say no, you can't. You're too busy, you yeah. know? Yeah. So just putting yourself out there, trying things, see what works and then works. going from there. Yeah. And prioritize. We talk a lot about that. What are the, you know, what are the priorities? Yeah. And if, if you're waiting for life to all be in order, right? I spoke to a group of women a couple of weeks ago and showed a, a photo of just a drop coming into the, you know, water. Uh, sure. Ripples out, and I said, "Is this your life?" These are moms of preschoolers, just <laughs> one drop at a time. And when it dissipates, then you can take another drop. And they all looked at me, and then you know, the next slide is fire. train, yeah, yeah. fire. And like, <laughs> fire should, that's yeah. our life. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. So that's not going to change. Sure, this is our life. So how do we manage it, and how do we, you know, choose the priority for the moment? Yes, and live in the moment and and love our life. No, oh, I admire the work you're doing. What's something that you have learned from your clients since you started this work? Oh, I learned so much for them. These are just such bright, smart women. Yeah. I learn, of course, I'm going to learn some on the technology side yes. because they're always learning and, and growing there and they have interests. And so mm-hmm. I asked them to share that with me. I'm learning just how much more capable mm. women are than I even thought. Mm. That's a good lesson. I wanted to circle back. One of the concepts you talk in the book, the book that I know is important at CAT is this idea of sponsorship. Can you talk a little bit about the definition of that and how that's maybe different than mentorship and why maybe any size company can do it, right? Even somebody like Samantha. Absolutely. And I did that very intentionally in the book because a lot of times those are interchanged, a a mentor and a sponsor. And it's like, okay, no. Sponsor, let's be very clear, is about advancing your career. Right. So introducing you. Right to others, maybe giving you some sort of an outline of capabilities you're going to need to have when this opportunity presents itself or things to be open to, but it's career focused and it's shallow. It's there. Yeah. Mentors are deep. Okay. They're about developing you as a person, developing your life. Right. The journey beyond a career. Yeah. All of it's to me, it's much yeah. more, yeah, all-encompassing. Do you encourage women to seek out mentors and sponsors? Yes. Okay. And multiple mentors. Some of the women that I mentor have, 
you know, multiple mentors. It sounds like you do too, I which do. I think is, is wonderful. <laughs> my board of directors, I call them. Yes. <laughs> and one of the women I mentor says, you're one of my top three. I'm yeah. like, great. That's awesome. It's all good. Good. Yeah. Well, I could talk to you all day about your book. Is there anything we didn't hit on that you definitely wanted to mention? I put all the tools in the back, the work tools in the back. So it was in one place. Mm-hmm. And if people only bought the book, it was in there and they could at least, you know, get the yeah. gist of it. I did the workbook or the toolkit so it was bigger. It was that eight and a half by 11 and you could actually journal in it mm-hmm. and actually work through yes. it. Yes. And I'm thinking about buying the workbook for just my leadership team because even if they don't have time to read the book, they can absolutely take things away from the workbook. Yes. And okay. that's what I see a lot of companies do doing yeah. with their okay. leaders. And they'll have me come and do a workshop on a piece of it. But same sort of thing. They want everybody to have that toolkit. They go right to the spreadsheet. Yeah. Like, okay. Just go to that first page. Right. If you're struggling with this issue, go to that tool. Right. And that's all you need for that moment. Yes. And so I want it to be very practical and to help folks as leaders, as they're developing as leaders. I see particularly with millennials that either they haven't been exposed to some of the leaders that we've had, so they haven't had that role model, Mm. or they haven't been given a tactical tool, Mm. Or they didn't intend to lead. Right. And they started a business and it's grown. And now they're leading people and haven't, (laughs) I didn't intend to do this. So how do I do it? Right. And I, my intention with it is that this would be a how-to. Yeah. They could understand the why by reading through the stories. But more importantly, they had the how. If they had the heart to change. Mm. They had how to do it. I love that you call it rock star millennials because that's a word that we use at Samantha a lot. And that's what happens. People become a rock star at their job, but then they're a manager and they're like, I wasn't trained on this, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Yeah. But they can be. They can be. Absolutely. Because I was trained and you were trained. Yes. And if we're trainable, so are they. Yes, absolutely. Give them the tools. Absolutely. We'll get back to the rest of the interview in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Symantle. I happen to know a thing or two about them because, well, I'm one of the owners. We are an industrial consumer marketing firm with an obsessive focus on customer experience. We create killer campaigns, but we also help organizations create programs that align back to their business strategies. Most importantly, we have a lot of fun and love what we do. And this year marks 40-ish years of doing it. Unfortunately, there's not enough time to explain the ish on this promo. But if you know us, you'll know it makes perfect sense. And if you don't, please reach out. We'd love to talk. Or you can head to samantle.com slash blog to learn more about us with articles, tips and tricks, do-it-yourself tools, and much more to help you keep learning and growing right alongside us. Well, I'll end by just a few final thoughts because I want to know a little bit more about you as a leader. So what do you think that your greatest strength is and what are you most proud of? I'll quote Neil Lewis here. He told me very early on, he was asking me about my strengths and I said, writing and editing and speaking. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, those are very tactical. Right. He said, Catherine, I see your strengths. You have an eye for potential. Ooh, okay. A head for business and a heart for people. Mm Mm-hmm. And I need those three strong every day. Mm -hmm. And if he wanted to remind me, he'd walk by my office and raise three fingers and not say a word. Interesting. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. And I, a head and a heart, my team has 
talked about how I use my hands too. So I think that just that visual of using your whole self to yes. help other people. Head, hard hands. Yes. <laughs> and he often talked about that, that you're, it's your head that drives your heart. And so if you want to have a different feeling about yourself or about others, it's intentional. Choose it in your head. Yep. Choose it in your mind. See it in your heart, which will drive your hands to do the work. That has been probably one of my greatest learnings over the past couple of years. I always thought we just, because we're emotional beings, show up with these feelings, right? Mm-hmm. And that should drive our actions. But it really is. You can train your brain to change the way you're thinking, the story you're telling yourself. And it's a good consultant strategy I found in my business if I can argue the other side, even if I don't believe it. At mm-hmm. least I know what objections I might get. Right. And yeah. it helps you prepare. Yeah. And it, and it helps you have empathy for that person and what they might be dealing with. Absolutely. What is a core truth that you've come to live by? I always come back to servant leadership. Yep. And my purpose when I left Purina and I said, how do I ever repay this company that has given so much to me? Right. And Neil said, Catherine, you repay Purina every time you take what you've learned and help someone else. How do you balance, and this is a question I'm struggling with right now, the ability to give people space to fail Mm -hmm. while also being a servant leader when you want to jump in and help or always just be there if they need it. Right. (laughs) And um, I would tell my team as as I was leading them, I am high touch, hands off. Okay. Like, that's an oxymoron. (laughs) Right. That's that's my leadership style. I'm very high touch. I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to wrap my arms around you. I'm going to understand you and what makes you tick and what you need and what your strengths are and where you want to grow. And then once I understand all that about you Mm -hmm. and I'm going to give you the tools you need and the processes and the training to succeed, then I'm hands off. Yeah. I'm going to surround you at first, give you all that you need physically, emotionally, and from a training standpoint, and then I'm hands off. Yeah. Cool. Well, I am so honored to have gotten to know you, and I do hope that we can keep in touch. I hope that this episode gets shared widely and your book gets bought a lot because I think there's such goodness in it. I'll end with the question that I ask every person on the show. What's a question you're struggling with right now that we can pass along to another? I believe in the art of asking questions. And yeah, I think if I you have too. a question, then someone else probably has it. So what's on your heart right now? What would help you? Mm. I always think that for my listeners mm. and for my podcast, and then also for the folks that I mentor and even the ones that own the businesses. When I talk with them, I'll say, what would help you? Mm-hmm. That's what I want to know. I love that question because so often when somebody poses that to you, you haven't thought about that. It's no. hard to ask for help, right? It's hard to help, Yes. And But that's my job. Yes. And that's why I'm here. And what would make your life easier? What would make your business better? What would give you more peace? Yes. What would give you less stress? What would help you? Well, I have to say you have helped me <laughs> just by showing up today and by pouring your wisdom into me. And again, thank you so much. I'm so excited thank to you. share. Thank you. Great Happy to meet you. Here. Okay, friends. So here's what you need to do. You need to go to mentoringwomenmillennials.com right now and order that book because you will be just as impressed as I am with the stories she shares, the way she lifts people up and definitely get the workbook if you can as well, because I know that that is sitting by my desk now as a really good quick reference guide for some coaching issues that I might be dealing with. So I just have to say on a personal note, I love Catherine's story, not only her career journey, but what she shared with us from a very personal standpoint. 
I have to tell you, after we recorded this interview, my team came to me and just said, wow, you know, and just Catherine's whole demeanor, (laughs) the way she presents herself, you know, her just very humble, calm tone. Uh, She's just somebody you really want to be around. So I encourage you to get to know her, connect with her, have her on your shows if you have them, help her get this book out there and thank her for me for sharing her story because I mean, it it really is very, very personal and, and it's a lot. So thanks, Catherine. Thanks for being on the show. 